You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you. And they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember... This is a deal that cannot be cloned. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. We call it slicking the bean, choking the chicken, giving yourself a hand, auditioning finger puppets. There's a million and one names for the old five-finger shuffle, and yet hundreds of millions of people are unable to sauce the taco due to disability, aging, or illness. That's where we come in, if you'll pardon the phrase. At Bumpin', we've created the world's first accessible sex toy, so people with limited mobility, hand issues, and disabilities can celebrate Palm Sunday just like everyone else. If you agree that everyone deserves sexual pleasure, help us spread the self-love and fund an orgasm for those in need. Give the gift of the big O at getbumpin.com. That's G-E-T-B-U-M-P-N dot com. Hey, Andrew, how are you? Hey, Kristen. I'm okay, but if I'm really honest, I haven't been doing super great lately. I'm kind of super really, really down. Oh, no. I'm sorry to hear that. What? Well, you and I talk all the time. We talk every day. And you know I've been thinking about going to therapy, but I've been mm-hmm. to therapists before, and I'm afraid that a therapist wouldn't understand all my disability stuff. And you know how much I love talking about disability, right? Yeah, I hear you have, like, a whole podcast about it. Right. I mean, I talk about it all the time, everywhere. And I'm just worried that I don't want to explain to a therapist, like, what is ableism? What is disability? Like, I don't want to do that before we get into my stuff, you know? Yeah, that's fair. You shouldn't have to, like, fully educate a therapist before starting a therapeutic process. And I think that's really hard because, honestly, you deserve support from someone who gets it. You get it? You're You're my best friend. You get it? What do you think I should do? I mean, I think you should find a disability-informed support person to help you work through this if 
anyone listening to this is interested, I'm actually offering disability informed support for $40 per session. Whoa, whoa, $40 a session? That's super cheap. The last time I checked, one session was like over a hundred bucks, but we can still talk about disability stuff, right? Oh, absolutely. Like everything from like physical changes in your body to ableism and exploring internalized ableism, grief that comes with disability, chronic pain, all that good, terrible stuff that so many of us live experience. It's so fun, isn't it? It's it's so great. Yes. And I, I know you also do, you also offer support for non-disabled people too, right? Yeah, I do support for able-bodied and non-disabled people as well because really, I mean, everyone gets sick or experiences illness or vulnerability at some time in their life. And well, that's a different experience than living with chronic disability. I think it's all very related. And if you're going through any sort of life change where you're having grief related to bodily change or body difference, I'm more than happy to support you with that as well. I think everybody deserves and needs affordable support. I think that it's such a great thing you're offering and I want to make sure that all the lovely listeners of Disability After Dark can reach you. How do they do that? Okay, well, right now they can reach me by email. It's Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N dot Williams, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S one zero at gmail.com and you can email me there to ask me questions or uh, let me know if you'd like more information or you can go straight to booking a support session with me. Awesome. Well, I, I can't I can't speak any more highly of this amazing thing. I'm so excited that there's finally disability-centered support for stuff like ableism and for stuff like internalized ableism and all the stuff that we go through that we never get to talk about. And thank you so much for offering it and for putting yourself out there, Kristen. Aw, thanks, Andrew. I hope you feel better soon. Me too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends, and thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your delectably disabled host, Andrew Gerza. Let us get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get today started, shall we? First things first, I gotta give a shout out to the people that keep the bright light shining on this show each and every week, and thank you for the people that are able to pledge to do that. Today's pledger is Or Denmark. Or Denmark, you're so awesome. Thank you so much for your pledge. And for your pledge, you'll get the show one day early, completely ad-free, and a weird, awkward shout-out for me. So, Or Denmark, you make me think of Denmark... And I think you hit the mark when you made a pledge. Thank you so much for your pledge. You could have 
done a pledge or not, but you chose to. Thank you so much, or Denmark, for your pledge. If you want to support the show, you can, of course, go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark, and I will give you a weird, awkward shout-out on the air, just like I did for War. Thank you so much for your pledge. If you want to support this show in other ways, you can, of course, leave us a review wherever you're podcasting right now, or you can um, you can make a one-time donation to to PayPal if you want to. That's paypal.com slash, or paypal.me slash Andrew Gerza if you want to make a one-time donation. But however you want to support the show, you can listen to it, you can tell your friends, you can pledge. However you want to do that, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here, and thank you for listening. But now, let's get to the show today, and let's shine a bright light on a new disability story. On the show today, I talked to my friend Z, who is really, really cool, and I talked to Z about Z's experience being a non-binary, adopted, Asian person with muscular dystrophy, and we talk about so many different things. We talk about the nuances of being disabled in your 20s, we talk about grief and loss, we talk about feeling like you need to be the poster person of disability when you don't necessarily want to be. Z reads us some of, of Z's poetry th- during the, the interview. We do so much here, but I really enjoyed sitting down with Z and kind of getting into the nuance of identity, the nuance of loss, and the nuance of disability, and really going to places where we could just have a conversation. And I thought, because it is Pride Month, and because Z is non-binary, I told them when we were recording that I would release this one in, in June, and I really, really enjoyed my interview with Z, and I hope that you all enjoy your interview, all enjoy my interview with Z today on the show. It was really, really informative, really, really important, and really, really kind of touched on all the areas that I love to go. Disability grief, disability joy, the nuance, all those things, queerness, so many things were touched on in this interview, and I was really, really proud to do it. Z is an amazing guest, and I hope you enjoy my interview with them. Thank you so much for listening, and enjoy the show. Z, hello. Hi. Hi, so nice to have you on Disability After Dark. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Really, really excited to be here. I don't remember how you and I corresponded initially. I don't remember. I just remember seeing your email in my box and I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I think you put out a call for like um, on your Instagram page, like anyone who was interested in sharing their story that, to like the lot of Google Forms or something. Nice. And I, and I was like, oh, yeah, that seems pretty cool. I like his podcast. So nice. Well, thank you for being a listener, too. That's really nice. Um, can you, and I, I would, I'm very excited to learn more about you. Can you just introduce yourself a little bit to the audience? Tell us who you are, what you do. Yeah. Um, so my name is Z and I'm a 20 something disabled, queer, non-binary person from, um, Washington, the Pacific Northwest. I am a full-time student currently studying psychology um and uh when I'm not doing all of that lovely school stuff I am just hanging out trying to navigate the world and figure out the way things work as a disabled person 
isn't that always the fun, the joy of being disabled, trying to figure out how it all works all at once? Yeah. While also being, I remember being 20-something and disabled. It's like you want to have fun and party, but you're also like, oh, wait, I'm disabled. How do I? Yeah, especially during a pandemic. Like, I turned 21, and then the world shut down. And I was like, oh, this is nice. <laughs> Can't go out, do anything. This is supposed to be, like, the peak, like, living out in my 20s and we're in the middle of the pandemic yeah this is great so much fun right the pandemic is such a great has been such a fun thing for all of us but especially for disabled folks and realizing how like inequitable everything is all the time oh my gosh for real it's I mean it's just ridiculous it's redonkulous even (laughs) um so but tell me a little bit more about just like because I don't I, I mean I was I'm old now. I'm like 30. I'll be, I'll be 38 soon. We're recording this in March. I'll be 38 in like two months, which feels weird. But like, what is it like being disabled in your twenties? Oh God. Um, It feels like you're missing out on a lot. Um, I was diagnosed with my type of muscular dystrophy when I was 18 months old. Um, and so my whole life is sort of just then, like, watching other people from the sidelines kind of thing. But being disabled in your 20s is kind of like you're watching everyone live the life that you wanted to have. And then coming to the realization that you won't ever be able to have that life. And there is this kind of, like, disconnect. Like, you want to feel bad for yourself, but you're also like, maybe this is the way that, I don't know, things have to be for me and it's just this constant readjustment of your perspective I guess yeah and I think like you know the media that we see of people in their 20s and college and parties and sex and all this stuff that people experience when they're when they're off to college and in their 20s and like we don't really experience surgeries and inaccessibility and you know ableism on the daily and it's like well (laughs) Yeah. This is not what I was expecting. Yeah, like, I remember being, like, as a kid, like, going through elementary school, and, like, I'd have to, like, take days out at a time for, like, all of my doctor's appointments, like, twice a year. And I was, I remember thinking to myself, as a child, I was like, my peers in, like, the second grade don't have to think about whether or not they're going to be in a wheelchair next year or... They don't have to think about things like mobility tests or like strength tests or any of this. That seems really unfair. And now, like as a 20-something, I'm like having the same thoughts. I'm like, my peers don't have to think about interviewing personal care assistants or what'll happen if the building catches on fire and you have no way to get out. Like my peers aren't thinking about these things. Like that's kind of unfair it's my life and I have to deal with it, but it's not fair. Yeah. I mean, definitely. And I think I agree with you. I think there's so much in our lives as disabled people that we have to deal with that we, we power on and we do and we deal with it, but it, it's certainly not fair. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit later about like the grief around that, because I think it's really valuable to talk about that. And I was, when I saw that on your phone, I was like, Ooh, yes, perfect. That's like my favorite topic. It's like, wade into disability grief because it's something that we all know but no one has mm-hmm. language for so I'm excited to, to talk about that with you mm-hmm. um but I want to back up 
can you just share with me and the audience what your disabilities are and how they impact your day to day? Yeah, so I was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy, um, SSHD or spatiosteatohumeral dystrophy when I was 18 months old. And because of the early onset, um, one of the symptoms is early onset versus like later onset is um, hearing loss. And so I'm also like hard of hearing. Um, but mostly what it means for me is uh, I get tired really easily and really quickly. Um, so like I spend maybe like 80% of my time like laying down. Like I joke that my office is my bed. Um, for most of us, that's very true. Yeah. Um, I look up to Frida Kahlo a lot because like the artwork that she was able to do after her accident, like just disabled icon, I think, in my opinion. I mean, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, and so um, muscular dystrophy, it's, it's like really, I guess, changed the way I do a lot of stuff unexpectedly. Um, in 2020, I got my first motorized wheelchair and became... Oh, congratulations, because, I mean, that's a big achievement yeah. in disability circles. So, yay, I think we should clap for that. Thank you. Yeah, um, that was a huge adjustment. For me personally, like, because growing up, like, there was a lot of internalized ableism, like, a lot, especially, yeah. like, when I was, like, in elementary school, I could still run and keep up with my peers, and, like, the only weird thing that they saw about me was my hearing aids and my inability to smile, because that's another big thing of SSHG, you lose your ability to smile in your facial muscles, um, but, like, they didn't really see me as, like, different because I could still run and do everything that they could um and so there was like a lot of internalized ableism when I was a kid like I didn't think of myself as disabled until much later when I stopped being able to run and participate in like everything else um and so when I got my wheelchair I was like this feels weird I have a lot of unpacking of like trauma and other stuff that I need to do in order to like accept this part that is like happening now and now I absolutely love it because it means that I can go anywhere I want and like I want to go out to like museums and like everywhere that I can that I couldn't go and I didn't realize how much I've been holding back like my family would be like oh yeah we're gonna go to this park do you want to come with and I'd be like oh no I don't really want to come it's okay and I'm too tired yeah yeah yeah, like, it was just, like, something that I just didn't want to do. And in reality, it was, I didn't want to deal with my body essentially failing me. I yeah. wasn't ready to admit that. Um, but now that I have my chair, it's absolutely amazing. And I am sorry for the child who ever felt that much shame and embarrassment. I'm so glad for you that the wheelchair, you that you, that you have gone through the journey of seeing it as something large to impact, but also are reaching a place where now like, oh, it's actually a, a freedom giver to me because we know this. So many people think, oh, you're a wheelchair user, therefore you're confined to it, therefore it's hindering you, therefore it's a problem. And if you're a full-time wheelchair user or a part-time wheelchair user, you know how important it is and how vital it is to getting you to do the things you want. So just for the people in the back who maybe didn't hear you say how great it was, can you just tell tell us one more time why it's great? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I, I love my chair. Like, I think a lot of it, too, was that I didn't have a lot of role models that I saw that used wheelchairs growing up. But now I get to be that person for myself. And it's amazing. Like, I, like, of course, because of the pandemic, I haven't been able to, like, use it much and go out much. Yeah. But when I do, it's it's so freeing. Like, Last summer, for a brief period of time, when we thought that COVID was over, and it was, I remember that that was a great like two weeks there. We we're like, yeah, it could be over. Legit, yeah. I went to Massachusetts to visit my sister, and I went on the Freedom Trail, which is we had done that back when I was like, I don't know, like fourteen, like a teenager, and I was like just starting to lose my mobility, and I couldn't really enjoy it as much. But going back with my wheelchair, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I can do everything now like we went to the aquarium and i was like oh my god holy fucking shit there's fish here like i can enjoy this <laughs> holy fucking shit there's fish here amazing amazing um and i i also love the aquarium for two reasons because i can run over children like in my way no i'm kidding oh my god yes but <laughs> but i also love that like most of the aquariums are accessible for wheelchair users yes they really are like, more so than I want to say, like, most zoos are, like, there's, a, like, I love zoos, but zoos have a lot to work on, in my opinion. Um, yeah, like, maybe we shouldn't have them, period. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, the aquarium, like, it, it was just so nice. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is amazing. And, yeah, there's just so much more freedom I can, like, have. And, I didn't realize that. And it's also really funny because I am an ambulatory wheelchair user. Whenever, like, I get up and, like, walk away from my chair, people look at me and they're like, they're like, it's a miracle. And I'm like, yeah, funny. But, yeah, I love seeing people in public. They're like, you couldn't, your, le- your legs? They work? I'm like, yes, not very well, but they do. <laughs> people, are, people are funny. People are silly um, sometimes, you know? Like, it just, it bothers my mind that in 2022, we're still having the conversation that, like, degrees of disability exist and it's okay. Yeah, for real. And it, it, it as somebody who's a little bit older than you, like, th- that's never gonna, that's never going to stop. <laughs> That's not gonna go away. Okay. So get ready, because in eighteen years they'll still be doing it to you. Ah, uh, yes, I can't wait. Um, but I, you know, one of the things that struck me in the forum, I'm just gonna pull up the questions and pretend to be professional as I do it. Hang on. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that struck me in where is it now? I'm so prepared. Here it is. One of the things that struck me in the forum that I want to talk about. You really, you said to me in the forum that you want to talk about the intersection of race, gender, and disability. And I think that each of those identities on their own are extremely nuanced and important, and we know this. But when you put them together in all three, there's really not... One of the things you said in the form that struck me and was really important was that you said there's not a guidebook on how to navigate all those things and all those identities. How does it make you feel to know that you're part of three very unique and important identities, but there's no real discussion on how to navigate all this stuff yeah um (laughs) 
Um, it's very isolating and frustrating at times because as someone who is like, you don't really like, I'm literally doing this without anyone to look up to. And I feel like when you're kind of feeling lost, you want to look up to other people to sort of be like, Hey, how do I do this? And knowing that there isn't one, it's, it's isolating and it's difficult because like, I want to say that there's no way to mess it up because you're writing it as you go along. But how do you know that you've messed it up until you've messed it up, right? Yeah. And so, like, I'll look to, like, other people like Alice Wong, who's Asian and disabled, but knowing that her experiences of being Asian and disabled differ so vastly from mine, um because I'm non-binary or like people who are non-binary that aren't disabled or um, Asian or a person of color. Like I, I like, I can pull some from various people's experiences that I can't see a full reflection of myself in them. And the only w- place I get that is by looking in my own mirror and I don't oftentimes like what I see um that's a shame because I like what I see (laughs) um hopefully one day I'll get there but yeah uh right now it's kind of like coming to terms with everything and trying to navigate that space it's like it's kind of like I don't know how do I explain this I'm an adoptee, um, and so my experiences of being Asian are very different than people who, like, Asian people who grew up, like, first generation, second generation immigrants for parents and whatnot. And so last March, when all of the anti-Asian hate crimes were going on and continues to go on, I could, a lot of that resonated with me but only to some extent, because I knew that my experiences of being an Asian person were vastly different from theirs. I am an Asian person, but I'm also a Korean adoptee, which means that I was raised by essentially white people. Um, And I would say to people, like, you know, no toxicity to whiteness can save me from the racism and stereotypes and prejudices that I experienced on the day-to-day and they'll tell me well you were raised by white people so obviously like you have privilege I'm like yes but also what I just said no toxicity to whiteness can can protect me from that just like no toxicity to being able-bodied can protect me from the ableism that I experienced or no toxicity to to feminism can protect me from anything like all of it. Yeah. I feel like it's like you're existing liminally, kind of like stuck in between a lot of things, and you don't have anyone else. You have a few people existing liminally with you, but no, like not enough people at that intersection where you can look around and be like, hey. I feel safe here with you other people. It's like, oh, I'm here by myself. 
this kind of sucks. It can be dangerous at times to be the alone. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm hoping like, that, sorry, what? No, go ahead. Um, I'm hoping that, that existing as I am at the point of all of these intersections that I can set the example for the for other people coming along after me. Um, I guess that's also like why I write. Like I'm like, I know that I'm 81, but in case this resonates with you, like any of it, I am so happy to be here for you so that it might eventually hurt less for you. Well, I know that there are people listening right now that this is that what you just said is resonating with. I mean, you and I share vastly different experiences and vastly different degrees of privilege, but I will say that like, I have often been the only disabled person in the room or the only queer person in the room or the only like, you know, in my case, Jewish person in the room sometimes. Um, so while it's not the same, I, de- I definitely understand the feeling of like, feeling like you, you have a foot in each world and you're straddling this line of like, where do I fit? Am I disabled enough? Am I queer enough? Like, and so like, I, I get how it feels lonely, but I, I, I think what you said about being that for someone else mm-hmm. and being that for the next generation it's really, really important. Thank you. Yeah. And, like, I also like want to point out that, like, we're not ever completely as alone as we feel. Now, this is something I have to keep reminding myself because the one thing that the pandemic has taught me in the isolation has been, like, there are other people in the world who will stand in your corner with you even though they may not completely get it. And the people that are willing to stand with you, like, hold on to them <laughs> because... They're your ride or die. And yeah. Like, those are the kind of people that you want in your corner. Yeah, completely. And I couldn't agree more. And, like, the thing you said about some people not getting it, you know what? Some people won't get everything and they won't understand every piece of it. And that's okay. I have friends and family and people that I care about that don't understand every little aspect of what I go through. And I don't, I can't expect them to. But if I needed them for something for real, they would be there. So, I'm learning to, for myself as a disabled person, I'm learning to let go of expecting them to, to understand everything right away and letting them come to it as they come to it. And if they don't, at least they'll still be there. And I think that that might be something that that you can hold on to. Even if they don't get every piece of it, They'll there are people that will be there for you. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, thank you so much for sharing that part of it because it's not easy to have those discussions and it's really not easy to talk about kind of feeling like you're alone in all these different spaces. And I, I, I know what that feels like. So I want to just thank you for being so candid about that. Um, so one of the things you mentioned in the forum that I want to, that I, that I was also struck by, you you're really good at like laying out your feelings on the forum on the little quick forum that I have people sign. So I was like really impressed by what I was reading. And one of the things you said that I was struck by was you, no one taught you how to be, how to be Asian, how to be disabled, how to be queer. No one, no one taught you this. Do you wish that somebody in your life had taught you how to be disabled? Kind of, yes. <laughs> um, and that seems so silly to say because um, there is not one way to be 
there's not one way to be disabled or Asian or queer. Um, then I wish there had been some kind of direction to be like, it's okay if you make these mistakes or when you feel joy, it might look like this and it's going to look differently than the way other people experience joy. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that one. Disabled joy doesn't look the same as non-disabled joy. It doesn't. It just doesn't. Yeah. And like, I wish that I had known that growing up because I feel like I would have been saved a lot of grief and a lot of heartbreak. Um, And like, again, there's not one way to be. So I can't say that like, I wish someone had told me exactly how to be because I undoubtedly would have found a way to like break those rules and whatnot. Um, But yeah, I, I just wish there had been some guidance. What what kind of, like what kind of stuff do you like? If you really think about it, what kind of stuff do you wish you were taught? Like, what kind of stuff do you wish you had been guided on? How to deal with racist people? How to deal with ableist people? <laughs> um, knowing like how to adapt things that were made for able-bodied people. Um. And like, oh yeah, occupational therapists exist, but they don't give you that when you're still able-bodied. Uh, yeah. Like, and they, and they don't explain the nuance of what an occupational therapist does. Like, they are so critical to a disabled person's kind of coming up being disabled, especially if you, as as you have shared, have, have are going through like gaining function here but losing function here, like. An OT is a critical person to have a relationship with, and we're never given the tools to do that properly. Yeah, I feel like because, like, my childhood muscular dystrophy was so progressive and that I didn't realize how much I was losing until I had lost it. And yeah. so when I was given those options to work with an OT, I didn't need them. But in the moments that I did need those those tools and those people to help me, I didn't have access to them. Um, and I feel like that's something that we should, like, I don't know, we should have, like, at any point, and we should have access to it at any point in our, like, disabled lives, I guess, because the progression can vary so much from person to person. Yeah, and it can be really, like, I think also with OTs, like, where I am in Canada, I don't know how it works in Washington State, but I know in Canada, like, where I am in Toronto, um, they will let you see an OT for four visits. So you call up the people and you say, I want an OT to teach me how to brush my teeth or hold a toothbrush or open a door or take off a shirt or something like that. And they'll book you an OT for four visits. And after those four visits, you're expected to have learned this skill and then they go away. It doesn't, hmm. It's interesting. I don't know how it works here because it's not something that I've let myself look at yet this is another one of those oh I need to do this I don't want to do this if I do this it admits that it's real and it's happening yeah um but yeah I I I don't I don't I feel like there should just be a better system for it and not not that I want to toot my own horn but I do have a friend that I spoke to on the show like months and months ago Dev who is a non-binary OT. I think maybe I could connect you with them. 
Oh, I would love that. And you go, and you could just have a chat about kind of all the stuff you're feeling, but also maybe ask them about how to use how how you could use an OT because I think also I think the profession of occupational therapy is great. I love them and they're amazing, but also I think it's very white. It's very cis, and I think to have yeah. another another disabled OT that understands this might be really valuable to you. So when we're done, I'm going to connect the two of you because that could be a great pairing. I would think fantastic because like I also remember like as a kid, like I remember like them standing over me and I felt so like it was dehumanizing in a way because it was just this lady looking at me like, why doesn't your body work the way I want it to? And I'm like, I don't know. I have <laughs> genetics. I don't know. I'm a child. Like, what do you want me to do? Yeah, I'm like, uh, I can barely tie my own shoes. Is that the muscular dystrophy or just toddler age development stuff? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, you know, I think the, and I I talk to a lot of OTs in the work that I do, and I love all of them, and they're all great, but I think it's really rare to have an occupational therapist that's non-binary, that understands disability, that is disabled themselves. Um, And I I, I I spoke with Deb, I think, the summer of 2021, I think, maybe 2020, I can't remember, the pandemic makes time weird, but I'll find their contact and I'll, I'll connect them to you because they were, they would be somebody you should definitely talk to. That would be and fantastic. Thank you. Anytime. Because I just think the more we can find each other and the more we can talk about our shit together, like, we need that, right? Yeah. Um, is there anything else in your disability experience that you wish that someone could have taught you? How to be kinder to myself. Like, how not to feel like I am a burden to myself, but also to other people. Um, and I think that's more like a social thing. Like, yeah. Like a mental thing. But I wish that someone had told me that I am not a burden and that I do not take up unnecessary, like, the space that I occupy is mine to take up. And that's okay that I function a little bit differently than other people. It doesn't make me any less of a human. My voice is valuable. And my perspective is needed. I wish that someone had told me that it's okay to function as I do. That I, I would heard that nearly enough as a kid. I would love to be a disabled person to say all that back to you. Um, because your voice is valuable. You're not a burden. You're allowed to take up all the space you need to take up. Regardless of whether it's unnecessary or not, the space is yours. And fuck what anybody else thinks. You're allowed to have that space. And and from one disabled person to another, we want you here. So, but at the same time, I think it's okay to feel those feelings of feeling like I'm feeling like you are a burden. I, I think that those feelings are very real. And I think sometimes when we say to ourselves, Oh, I wish somebody would tell me that I'm not a burden. We push those feelings away and then we don't feel them fully. So I would recommend feeling them, whatever they are, getting upset, being angry, go through all of that. 
but remind yourself that it's okay to have the feeling. Cause I think that for me in my journey of disability and I've been disabled my whole life, but learning to be like, Oh, this feeling sucks. Let me talk about how this feeling sucks. And I think finding outlets to do that for me has been really valuable. Thank you. I needed that. Um, but I mean, I too wish that some, like someone told me that I wasn't a burden. And I mean, in my family, it was never, I was never thought of that way. Everything's great. They're, my family is amazing. But yeah. I think to, I think that's something that when we're young, we don't know, we don't have the word for what a burden is, but we know there's something wrong. Yeah. We know we're in the way. We know we, we're causing a problem. Even if we're not, that's what, society's taught us to believe about ourselves so and you know you're only in your mid-20s so like maybe you should get like maybe you should get a tattoo that's like i'm not a burden or somewhere or like a shirt that you can look at all the time to remind yourself that is a good idea i am thinking about getting a first tattoo this summer so oh <laughs> do <Yeah>. it yeah <laughs> yeah also you're totally not a burden um needed to say that um oh yeah you. like I also had family who like never really told me that I was a third in or like never really like explicitly said it out loud and they were like great like you know like I feel like most people are luck- lucky enough to have families that don't say that to them yeah but again you can't help but like internalize it a little bit oh yeah the internalized ableism is a fucking bitch and it, it's it hurt so much even even if the family is lovely and they they my, like my family built a house for me when when I was a kid so that I could get around fantastic and I'm we're so so close but like 10 year old Andrew was like oh I need help with this thing and I know it's going to be hard for them and that's hard and like yeah. you know 38 year old Andrew is still like oh I don't want to bother you so I'll just be over here in the corner like I won't ask for this thing I need because I don't want to bother you. Yeah, I just had my sister and her husband come over yesterday to, like, make a bunch of food for me. And the entire time, like, I was, like, watching them and I was like, wow, this only took you guys 30 minutes to, to like, do, like, start to finish. Me, it would have taken, like, three hours on my own. And, like, I felt so guilty. I'm like, can I do anything? I won't do it well, but I'll do it eventually. <laughs> And they're like, oh no, it's completely fine. Like, we're happy to do this for you. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> like, like, I, like, it feels awkward asking for help, you know? Yeah, and I think for you, well, for all of us, but for you, as your disability is progressive, uh, it, probably the ways you needed help five years ago are different from the ways you need help now. Yeah, and I guess. I can imagine, and I, and I know in part because I've lost some abilities myself, I know how scary that can be, and I know how angering that can be, and I know what it's like to feel that grief. Um, so that, I kind of want to go into the disability grief space, if that's all right with you. Um, yeah. How how does disability grief manifest itself for you, and how do you process that? So I want to start this out by... Uh, relaying a quote that someone said to me a very long time ago. Um, I was like, I've never been good with change. Um, And so they they said to me, 
that change is loss and in order to go on and move on with your life you need to let yourself mourn those losses and feel those losses before you allow yourself to like live in the moment and be happy again or whatever and with a progressive disease it felt like so much of my life was spent mourning those losses and it still sometimes feels like that um like occasionally like I'll feel like a twinge or like some aching in some part of my leg or something and I like immediately start to thought spiral of like am I losing this muscle now or is it gonna be an agonizingly long process of losing little bit by little bit and it's difficult because I don't let myself think about it past those thought thought spirals um I don't think about it like I don't put it in the forefront of my mind um and the way that I process with most other things is that I tend to write and make art out of it um but I recently wrote an article for a friend titled like I why I choose to write or why is it easier for me to talk about my mental health and my mental illnesses than it is to talk about my disability? Um, and the gist of it was that talking about my disability made everything so much more real and it felt more vulnerable and raw in a way that talking about my mental illness wasn't. Um, <clears throat> like, no one talks about what it's like to wake up one day and being like being able to like put some dishes away or bend over and like take something else off the ground and then the next day wake up and not being able to do that yeah um I think it's kind of like it's a it's a kind of loss that not everyone is gonna get again like if you get it you get it and if you don't you can try yeah and they're like little tiny micro loss like it's not we think of disability unfortunately in our culture we think of like you have a giant car accident and then you go from being fully able-bodied to not to not being able-bodied at all and then that's it when the reality of disability is some days you can pick up that cup and some days you can't and then like and then one day you can put away that shirt and then one day you can't for me it was one day you can go pee and then the next day you can't and I think we don't we're never given the tools to process that properly and how to navigate like I want to be able to put away the fucking cup myself I want to like that's a goal of mine and I'll never be able to have that and that's hard yeah like I think also for me because I was diagnosed so young I didn't really have the time, had an opportunity to like, the opportunity or the time to process the diagnosis. Like I was a baby, like I had memories as doctors' offices and like just all of that, like it burned into my brain. But I don't remember being able to like have the language to be like, this sucks. 
And my parents were funny that as a child, I kicked and screamed my way through those appointments, which completely normal response for a child who is has like a bunch of people in their face, like poking and prodding and whatnot. Yeah, of course. I think that not being able to process that, like it stuck with me, like as a child, as a, like in my teen years, and it's catching up with me now, like in my twenties. And I think that not being able to process that just it's different. I feel yeah. Like. yeah. And it's really really like it's really hard to be to have had this disability from the time you were a baby, but to not have had the chance to talk it through, like I remember the first time I realized I was disabled, and I've mentioned this on the show before, but I'll share it again. I was on the playground and somebody made fun of me for being in a wheelchair. And I was all of a sudden, I was like, Oh, (laughs) that's what this is. And then to realize that those kind of comments are never going to stop happening. Like, you know, people tell you, Oh, it's a one-off. Don't worry about them. They're an asshole, whatever. Like they're, or they're a kid on the playground. Don't worry about it. But then when you hit like my age, 38, 39, it's still happening like on the daily sometimes. Yeah, you're like wow, and so like I think, you know, maybe if you had 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 the language at a younger age to be like, what is ableism? What is you know, what is this feeling that I have? It might feel better because then you could at least put a name to what you were feeling. Yeah, which is also like why now I'm happy that I have the language because any one who comes after me is hopefully also going to have that language early on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think, and I think also the language of disability changes and evolves. So maybe the next generation will have a totally different word for what it is. And maybe it'll it'll change a little bit. So like, but I can definitely relate to being a young child with a disability and feeling ableism and knowing that what I was feeling was, didn't feel great, but having no language for it at all. Yeah. And I mean, that can be really, really hard. Um, So I'm going to shift gears just a little bit. And again, thank you for being so candid today with all the stuff. Some of the questions that I posted today were super heavy and you've been really like generous with your responses. Thank you. Um, I also identify as non-binary and it's a new kind of, it's a new thing for me and a new experience that I'm going through as I navigate that I'm wondering for me my disability plays a role in my non-binary experience because I feel like being non-binary allows me to be as disabled as I need to be as queer as I need to be does it does your non-binary identity play into disability at all a little bit yeah um I realized a bit ago that the way that I dress and present myself affects the way that people look at me, especially as a disabled person. Before I was using a wheelchair, as much as I do now, I used a cane and still do. Um, and the looks that I would get based on how I dressed when I went out in public using my cane varied depending on what I wore and how I presented myself. If I dressed more femme, like wore skirts or like tighter clothes or whatnot, 
older people would look on me like with an endearing kind of like, oh, look at you. You look so young and you, you're too young to be so disabled. Whereas if I went out and I presented more mask with like like baggy clothes and like darker clothes versus lighter clothes, they wouldn't really look at me. They would sort of just leave me alone. And so now I, I notice this too, like when I'm in my wheelchair versus when I'm not, it's sort of the same thing. I use my clothes as sort of like, like a suit of armor, I guess. And being non-binary just like lets me hide a little bit more. Which is funny because you're like, oh, as a disabled person, shouldn't you be like, like there's the part of me that's like, shouldn't you be proud of your identity as a disabled person? Shouldn't you want to stand out in just a little bit of like a fuck you kind of way? Yeah. And there is part of me that does, but for the most part, I'm still getting used to the idea of saying fuck you to strangers. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get there one day, and when I do, it's going to be great. But, yeah. Um, for now, it's um, my non-binary identity lets me hide in plain sight, which is great. Um, and it won't always be like that. One day, I, I will gain the confidence to run over people's feet in public. <laughs> um, what, just just a point of caution. I've done that. It, sometimes you accidentally run over the big guy who could really hurt you if they don't like that. So <laughs> so do it, but do it cautiously. <laughs> I accidentally ran over my niece's toes one time with my chair, and I felt so bad. Luckily, she was completely fine. But I was like, oh my god, I can't imagine doing that to anyone else. Like, Like, I could never, like, no. I do feel like sometimes people just, there are certain people who definitely deserve it. My mom has a rule when we're in, when we're going out somewhere. She's like, if they're a young kid or no, that old person, don't hit them. But if they're just an average person in your way, go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like that. Um, But I think, you know, talking about how your non-binary identity makes you hide or, or allows you to hide. I think that's okay. I think you don't have the, I think there is a progression of being proud of your disability. And I think it's an ebb and flow. And some days you're really proud. And sometimes you're all about, yeah, yeah, disability. And some days you're like, I fucking hate this. I just want to go over here and not be looked at. Like, I, I think that the way we, we talk about disability on social media and the way we talk about how we're all like, warriors and rah, 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 all that all that stuff like that's hard and i don't i i don't subscribe to that idea i'm like i want to talk about it and it's important to me and it's a it's a hundred percent of who i am but i also have days where i want it to be zero percent of who i am yeah i get that i feel like it helps me control the the narrative a little bit more and being non-binary and also being disabled feels like they're both sort of on the same sort of spectrum of wanting to be perceived but also not wanting to be perceived yeah uh, yeah well yep. i'm here to t- i'm here to tell you that you're allowed to hide you're allowed to like go in the corners and not and not be looked at and don't feel ashamed if you're not like rah rah disability every single day because so many <laughs> of us aren't yeah thank you and it's okay to have really conflicting and really fucked up feelings about it because 
And I think that's something we don't talk about enough at all in our, the way we talk about disability online or in our social groups. Like we don't really explore that there are, there are shades of being proud and there are shades of like, just leave me the fuck alone. Yeah. Like I am tired of being disabled, but I don't want to be the spokesperson for it. I don't want to be people's inspiration. Like if I happen to help you, fantastic. If I happen to open up your worldview a little bit more, fantastic. I will have these conversations with you, but please do not come to me asking me to be your poster person for like disability inspiration porn. Unless you fucking pay me tons of money, then sure I'll be your poster person. But until you do that, I will yeah. not. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um. But, you know, I think I just because I, I remember being in my 20s and I remember having all these feelings and not having language for it and not having really had a lot of experiences. So I just want to remind you, Z, that you can feel all these things and it doesn't make you any less of a part of our community. Like, Thank you. So don't feel like you have to, again, just don't feel like you have to be the poster of anything unless they're paying you millions of dollars, in which case be the yeah. poster person. Um, but I I definitely understand the the difficulty of trying to figure out how to be proud of being disabled. Yeah. It's not an easy journey. And it's okay to have days where you're not proud at all because we have all been there and I think we should talk about that more. Um, one of the things you talked about a little bit in this interview and a little bit like on the forum was mental health and disability. So I wanted to ask you, how do you think we should be talking about mental health and its connection to disability. Um. So, yeah. Um. I think that, like, in terms of mental illness being seen as a disability, I feel like we need to talk about that a little bit more. Because, like, for example, depression is an extremely disabling mental illness at times. Um, and I've been asked by friends in the past, they're like, oh, my anxiety, like, can I call out an invisible disability? And it's my opinion that you can. Mine too, yeah. Because it can really affect you, like, it can mess you up. And so can depression and other mental illnesses, especially the ones that aren't spoken about as much. But I also feel like disabled people who also experience mental illness and mental health issues like, I feel like that's not something that's spoken about nearly enough in the communities. Like, at least within my own social circles, there'll be, like, um, people will be like, oh, yeah, I think I'm, like, just really depressed and I need to go talk to someone. And there'll be other voices in the community saying, oh, you should just go outside or you should just try yoga or something within the community. Yeah. And I'm like, can you exercise? Like, I know that we're fairly, like, limited in our physical abilities, but why the fuck would you recommend exercise to another person given you hate it when people recommend exercise to you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, I have so many feelings about lateralism, and I have so many feelings about, like, I wish that it would just fucking stop. It needs, yeah. it needs to stop, and we need to... We need to... 
we just need to find a way in our communities to be kinder to each other, mm-hmm. but also to fucking listen to one another. And I don't think that we in our disability communities, especially on the TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, like world, we don't fucking listen to each other. And it makes me as a disabled person, I hate it because it's like, oh my God, we're never going to, we're no, we have bigger things to worry about than whether or not Joe Blow calls you differently abled. <laughs> like we have bigger things to fight about than that. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, I'm like, I definitely agree that we need to listen to each other more. Um, and I wish we would, because I'm like, uh, this is why people don't necessarily take us seriously. Yeah, as because community. we're in, so we're in fighting over the over the language we use. We're in fighting over like things that just don't matter a lot. Like, can we focus on bigger stuff? <laughs> yeah, and like with mental illness within the disability community too. So many people are like, oh, you're just sad. And I'm like, no, Honey needs help. Someone nope. gonna help them? No? Okay. Sorry. Clinically, de- like, clinically depressed. Like, not... Yeah. yeah. Here are the list of resources. Send for yourself. Like, no. Like, come on. Like, I think that we need more focus around our communities. And, like, I feel like when I was beginning to study psychology, I had a therapist who was like, oh, are you going to serve the disabled population? And I was like, I didn't really think about it. And they were like, oh, you should, because you, as someone who is disabled, you would offer a lot of insight to your community. And I was like, you're right. You're right. But also... Like, why do I have to be the spokesperson for like? Yeah, where it's like, yes, it's needed, but I don't feel like I'm at a point where I will be able to. I don't know. And I, well, I think when I think when somebody says who is not disabled says you should be the spokesperson. When you're not ready, that's hard. Like, yeah. Like exactly. when you when you're ready to don that cape and don that hat and do that job, like then sure. But until then, maybe like because for a while there, I didn't want to work with disabled people when I was coming up in school. I was like, I'm gonna be a lawyer and I don't not gonna deal with those people that are like me. Like I'm gonna deal with like real people, which is was totally ableist and me like learning about myself through that. But like now that I do this job for for and with disabled people, like yeah. I love it, but it took me a while to get there. Yeah, I feel like I'm not a, currently at a point where like I need to be more comfortable with myself and my own identity as a disabled person before I go and be like, I know everything there is to be about disabled and like I know exactly what you're feeling because truth is I don't right now. Let me share you. Let me share a big secret. You're never going to be a disabled expert, believe me. I know. And people call me that all the time when I do talks and stuff. They're like, "Oh, we're bringing onto the stage disabled expert Andrew Gross," and I'm like, "Oh fuck! Like, don't call me an expert, please. I hate that." And like, I don't like. I don't think that anyone should necessarily have to be 
and I don't want to be because there are so many different experiences of disability that I feel like we should be asking the individuals like yeah fall into those different like categories and like levels of dis- disability like I don't I don't ever want to be considered an expert of disability like I want to be flawed and I want to share my flaws with you and be like let's talk about our flaws together yeah exactly I'm like yeah. let me talk about how my experiences might relate to yours but I'm completely like understanding of the fact that there is a chance that they won't. And I feel like that is something that needs to be brought to more conversations in the dis- disability community. Yeah, a hundred percent. I really agree with you. And I think, I think, I think the hard part about that is that the way a lot of us have to make our money is by claiming expertise and being like, I'm an expert at this so that people will take us seriously so they'll hire us but I but whenever I go up on stage now and I do a talk the very first thing I say is hi my name is Andrew Gerza I'm a disability consultant and I'm not a fucking expert in this field my job is to share my story hope that it resonates with you and hope that you glean something from it and we move on yeah I like that like that's a great way to frame that like that way people don't and also I don't want people to feel like I'm lording some knowledge over them that they don't have like disability should be accessible to everyone and that's what I'm trying to do it's also condescending like I'm used to people being like I know so much more than you and I'm like do you yeah do you know how I'm feeling right now no so (laughs) what are you talking about like doctors who used to come in and be like so you have this disease and I'm like trying to like sit here listening to this fucking resident explain to me like what they know about my disease and I'm like so how does my 20 something years compare with your like two years of what you Residency. learned yeah yeah from a textbook where you barely saw a person yeah 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 um no I, I think the, I think the way we overvalue expertise in and out of our experiences with disability is a big problem that we need to certainly addressed um one of the ways that i know you process and we've talked about this a bit today is through your writing and your art and poetry can you share with it like tell me more about that because i love artistic expressions with disability and i want to hear more yeah so um like i said one of the main ways that i process things is through art and poetry and whenever i go through something i have to write about it or make some sort of art around it. And for the longest time, that was how I processed my depression. Um, That is also how I process coming to terms with aspects of my disability. Like, I think that art helps us, art answers to the subconscious mind what's not necessarily being heard. We tend to write or draw out what we're not necessarily wanting to think about oftentimes. Yep. And I've been discovering this more so with other aspects in my life. Like I'll go, like I'll open up my iPad and start drawing and I'm not even sure what I'm going to end up drawing until I get to the end and I'm like, oh, 
okay, that was something. And that happens a lot with my writing and disability as well. Like, I don't like talking about my disability. I don't like bringing attention to it. And so when I end up with a piece that does address it, I'm like, oh, okay, I need to be thinking about this a lot more. This is the story that I need to get out. Um, And this is something that I need to think about because I shouldn't be pushing it aside as much as I am. And the more that I'm open with it, the more that I talk about it and write about it and make art about it, the less taboo is going to become in society. And not even in society, but just for you, the more you write about it, if you see yeah. if you see the word disability on the page a bunch or the feelings of disability, then it sounds it won't be as scary when somebody says, "Can you talk about it?" You can be like, "Well, actually, maybe I can't talk about it, but I wrote a poem. Want to read that?" Yeah, yeah. That's also times how it goes in therapy too. Like my therapist is like, "Hey, you want to talk about your week?" I'm like, "Nope, that I wrote a poem. Here it is." <laughs> nope, but I wrote a poem. Read this. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you? I'm wondering, and I, I, I wrote this a bit late, so you may not have anything. Here. Do you have anything you could share now or no? Um, yes, it is a little bit long. I'll give you that disclaimer. We got time. Okay, let me pull it up. Um, so I've archived most of my work on the Instagram page because I had a problem with taking up space and being vulnerable on the internet. Um, so let me find you real quick. Take your time, no worries. And I fully understand the being, being vulnerable on the internet part. Because, and you know, part of that too, when you said that it made me think about like how many times I've been vulnerable and our own community has been like, well, that's not true. It's like, well, oh no, like, I'm trying to share my story with you. Why are you being so mean? <laughs> Okay, yeah, so this is called um, Ode, An Ode to My FSHD RDS. Um, and I wrote it in June of 2020, which was such an interesting time. Oh my right? God. Right? It feels like a century ago. I'm like, oh. Okay, so for, before I start, I have to give a little bit of context. Um, FSHD is, like I said, my type of muscular dystrophy. Um, and one of the main symptoms of it that people notice right away more so is the the inability to smile and oftentimes because there is like a lack of facial expression it looks like resting bitch face Um, and I got comments on that a lot when I was younger Um, and people used to tell me oh wow you look like such a bitch and I'm like thank you Oh, no. <laughs> so, uh, I wrote a poem about it. Um, this was actually posted for World FSHD Day, which is June 20th. So, I'll re- Well, you know what? Maybe maybe what I'll do is I'll hang on to this until we're recording this in March. If you're okay with that idea, maybe we'll do that when we'll release it then. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. All right. I'll hold on to it till then. Cool. Okay, so this is called An Ode to My FSHD RDS. When the photographer asked me to smile and I squeaked, I can't, 
She glared at me and told me I was making her job more difficult. Maybe it's resting bitch face, or maybe it's a genetic disease. FSHD, say it with me. Thasio, scapulo, humor, all of my bad jokes dystrophy. We laugh so we don't cry, while geneticists asked if we've got any more wise, and you repeat mantras soaked in toxic positivity until you believe you truly are more than your body. Not broken down by the burden of carrying around the diagnostic criteria from doctor to doctor who swear there's a cure coming, but for now, all you can do is wait. I swallowed sterile medical jargon like cough syrup and played lab rat for residents who looked at me like I was an endangered species. And I guess I was. I guess I am. I had enough paperwork to burn and keep me warm long after the world is nothing but crackling embers and we are here, gathered round as dreams turn to ash, telling ghost stories to the spirits of our former selves and begging our nightmares to refrain from marring reality. Experiences of emotion are neither dictated nor invalidated by what you can or cannot see. Happiness does not look like the ability to smile, but it was easier to write me off as that angry bitch because thirst impressions are everything. New developments is one of the worst phrases in the English language, along with rapid progression and irreversible atrophy. It's cautionary speak for loss. Caused thy mutation, caused thy deletion, caused thy screening silence that falls upon deaf ears. I cannot hear you anymore, but I will still declare my body a state of being until every last breath leaves my machine-assisted lungs. Aren't we the lucky ones to know the pain of losing so well that we hold on to every moment because it might be the last? We won't know until the morning comes. The foundations of my life were built upon the premise of adaptability. Metamorphosis is my anthem, my siren call. I am survival masquerading as inspiration. RDS is a goddamn medal of honor. This is my honor for a lifelong battle in which I continue to fight for a figure of peace. Perhaps it's fitting then that when we meet, my resting bitch face is the one you greet. When another gave birth to me, I wonder if she knew of the resilience she planted inside my bones. Oh, how this body groans. The body knows how to stare down bitches in the mirror and wipe that smile off her face. Come on now. Release that tension. Let go of the expectation that you must uphold the pillars of society's standards for femininity. Don't tell me to fucking smile more, baby. My exuberance is mine to disperse as I please. Dear FSHG RDS, I love you and I hate you, but really, I don't know what I'd do if you ever cease to be. Write back soon. Sincerely, me. Oh my God. So you're 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 gonna you you have a book deal, right? Somebody's gonna <laughs> someone's gonna no. publish that. Can actually, somebody? Actually, no. Um, I recently told some friends because I've been I've been asked this question for many years. But I recently told some people that I will publish a book of poetry when the pandemic ends. So never. Yeah. But I mean, I listened to that. I was tearing up because so I was like, wow, you've put into words so many things that I, that I have felt too. Again, completely different disabilities, but I get it. So like people need to hear that. And so like, first of all, thank you so much for writing it, for sharing it. Um, I want it to be a, a book of poetry. Can it was really really good and it really encapsulates so many feelings we have and i would just say 
whenever you're having a moment of ableism or a moment of those feelings, just do more of that. It's so important to ha- to to express ableism in, through through that art form. Thank you. Yeah, it was really cathartic to write. Like, it's really cathartic to write, and I didn't realize I was writing it until I'd written it. Um, but yeah, one day when this pandemic ends, maybe it'll end up in a book. I'm just going through the Rolex in my head being like, who do I know that can get see a book deal because they need one immediately. <laughs> no, but it was just so powerful and thank you so much for putting it out there. I, it, some of the stuff that you wrote there is going to resonate with me for a long time. Like the part where you talk about how you have the the papers of diagnoses will keep you warm. Yeah. <laughs> remember, remember, I was like, oh my God, yep, been there. Or like, you know the like me you know the the resting bitch face is actually like your res- resilience and there was so much in there that i was like this is this is really good so thank you so much i want to hear more please write a book when <laughs> when you're able to um or if somebody offers you a million dollars yeah which other one comes first the yeah. ending or someone offering me a million dollars i hope that it's a million dollars first um this was so so important and thank you so much for being here today the last question that i have for you i didn't write down but i wanted to ask you we talked at the beginning about disabled joy so i wanted to ask you z what brings you disabled joy Hmm, that's a good question i actually just wrote about this because i realized that yeah my joy looks way different than everyone else's um, I wrote that joy isn't necessarily a feeling, but it's it's more like a moment to me. And I feel like that's especially true as someone who is disabled. Um, because like you don't really get typical experiences of joy. Yeah. So for me, it's like when I have found that song that I absolutely love like it just hits just right and you're like yes this is it you listen to it on repeat or like just on repeat until you can no longer listen to it yeah yeah um it's also when I've done something by myself um that I didn't think I would be able to do like the little tiny wins is like oh my gosh I cooked this dinner for myself and I didn't think I would have the energy to do that today and like little like tiny wins of independence I guess yeah um but also like the really like small things and like the simple things like sunny days when the light just comes in and you're like oh so this is what it's like to feel alive and like maybe that's like a symptom of struggling with depression for my entire life but, like is noticing the little things that are not like out of my control, but don't guarantee, like that don't require me to cause them, you know? Yeah, and you don't have to do anything. And you know, like, and I think that's so interesting because so many of us with disabilities, we have to manufacture our own joy. So I hear what you're saying, like moments where you feel comfortable in your wheelchair, or like you have a nap in your chair and it feels nice, or like you. You know, yeah, like you were saying, like the sunlight hits you right, or the great song that you can just rock out to. Like, 
little moments where you have don't have to take control I get that I totally understand yeah or like when I put together a really fucking great outfit and like I know I look good and I'm like sitting in the wheelchair and I'm like rolling down the street and like I look so good I want everyone to see me those days don't happen very often because I don't have that level of confidence like all the time but when when I'm feeling myself I'm like yeah I look great like what's your favorite like outfit to wear I recently saw this pair of jeans from Taxon. Um, they're fucking amazing. They are the greatest pair of jeans I will ever own. Uh, so, it, but it's usually a pair of black jeans, um, a black t-shirt, or like some t-shirt that has some sort of slogan on it. Um, like I have one. Uh, you're probably familiar, uh, Annie Eleni. Yeah, uh, shirt. The future is accessible shirt. Yeah, wearing that shirt to inaccessible places. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't get into a building, but read my shirt. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's an, it's a quiet way to be like, "Fuck you, brain accessibility." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, usually black jeans, black t-shirt. My Doc Martens because they make me feel like I can kick someone even though my legs don't work. I'm like. If I could stand up and if I could kick you, I would. And these boots would make it hurt. Um. So you like looking like, and you know, I love those boots because they're super British and I'm an Anglophile. So I love anyone who wears Doc Martens. I'm like, oh, we're friends. We're going to be friends right away. Yeah. I realize that one perk of being in a wheelchair now, like using a wheelchair, is that I can wear whatever shoes I want. Yeah, they never go, they never get dirty, they never go, but they never get, their soles don't ever get destroyed. It's great. Yeah, I'm like, I can wear the nicest fucking shoes now, like, like I can wear heels if I want, and my feet will never hurt. I can wear heels and not worry about being too tall, because like, I call it karma, because I'm 5'7", and the, one of the taller ones in my family. But since when I'm in my chair, I'm like the shortest one in my family. Yeah. Like, oh, Karma hit me really fucking hard in the ass. <laughs> this is nice. Karma can sometimes be your best friend or be a bitch. Yeah. Um, but I had such a fun conversation with you today. And thank you for being so transparent and so honest about your experiences. And, and again, thank you for being a voice for people listening who maybe you feel alone and maybe are straddling different parts of their identity and, and you've helped them not feel as alone. So thank you so much. Yeah, of course. This was great. I loved having this conversation with you. I had such a good time and I, I want to hear more poetry. So if ever you need some, if ever you need to send it to somebody, you have my email, just send it over. <laughs> <laughs> you can uh, also check it out on my Instagram page because it'll be out there like, as I post it, it is, is I don't feel the need to archive it right away. Nice. Um, how can the people listening, if they want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Um, I'm on Instagram at the.beautiful.gods. Um, you can actually follow me. Let me put it in the chat real quick. Awesome. And then I'll make sure that it's in the show notes. Mm-hmm.
Amazing. So the dot beautiful dot gods. I will make sure that that's in the show notes. Z, this was so fun and it was such a pleasure to meet you today. Yeah, it was it was great. I had a great time. Thank you so much. Me too, for sure. And you and I will be in touch because I want to connect you with my friend Dev, who does disability OT stuff. Yes, please do. That, that would be fantastic. Thank you. For sure. And we'll be in touch really soon. I'd love to find a way to have you back on the show. So let's keep in touch. Yeah, of course. Okay, thank you. Thank you, yeah. Bye. Bye. All right, friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark in the books. Thank you so much for making this episode comfy, cozy, and crippled. And I hope you enjoyed sitting down with your favorite disabled person on the internet and talking all things disability. Thank you so much for being here. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to my website, andrewgerza.com, or you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at andrewgerza1. If you want to be on the show, you can, of course, email us at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com with your disability story. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to support Disability After Dark, you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledge as little as $1 a month, up to $5 a month or more, or even a yearly amount if that works for your budget. We at Disability After Dark, me, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for supporting this show and Crippled Co. and all the things we do, and tune in next week when we shine a light on another disability story, right here on Disability After Dark. Bye, friends! Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple & Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Crippling Co. Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2022.